0: following is a teaching message from Shore Community Church. For more information on Shore or our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. Carrying on in the vein of serving this morning, the reason that we picked this day to have the Shore Community Trust team sharing is because we're talking about the spiritual practice of serving today, and so I want to encourage you to turn over to John chapter 13. If you've got a Bible, uh, pull it out, pop it on your lap. John chapter 13, uh, and this is certainly one of the most profound moments of serving uh, in the whole biblical story, the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. So let me read this to you, John chapter 13, uh, verses 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover festival After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So I've got this uh, visual depiction of the scene here, this great moment in the Gospels, and this is a hand-carved Portrait of Jesus washing Simon's feet. This was hand-carved in Nazareth, in Israel. And uh, my parents picked this up when they went to Israel a few years ago, uh, when, when they went through Nazareth. And at the time, Anna and I were staying at Mum and Dad's house back here, and they sent this on ahead of them. And I opened this up and uh, just thought it was so fantastic. I texted Dad and said, well, you know, thanks so much for this carving. And uh, he texted back and said, actually, it's not for you. Uh, they just sent it ahead of themselves so they didn't have to take it in their luggage. Um, but then he felt sorry for me, so he actually gave it to me, which was, which was fantastic. So I thought I'd try the same thing. They went to Israel again this year, so I waited expectantly just to see if they'd send anything on ahead of themselves. <laughs> but I didn't get anything. So, but this is a, a, just a visual depiction to help you picture that scene, really. It's a powerful moment in the gospel. It's a powerful moment and an important moment in the whole life and the ministry of Jesus, this moment when he washes his disciples' feet. And I want to suggest that the meaning of this story, the real meaning, is found in one little word. A word you'd never expect. A word at the beginning of verse 4. It's the little word so. might seem hard to believe that the meaning of such an important story could be contained in a tiny little connecting word like so. But I really seriously think it is. Just quick recap on English grammar here. The word so, of course, connects two ideas. One that is the natural result or outworking of the other. A, B, C, so, X, Y, Z. So in order to figure out what so is doing here, we need to look at the statement either side of so and see how they relate to each other. So, look at verse 3. This is the statement before the word so. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. Now that is an extraordinary statement of Jesus' divinity. One of the most exalted that you'll find in the Gospels. Uh, The major teaching series we're going to do this year is on the Gospel of John. So we're going to spend a lot of time in John. And you find that John gives us a higher Christology. in, In other words, a higher view of the exalted divine person of Jesus than the other Gospel writers do. He's really looking at Jesus from above rather than from below, like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And this is a a loaded statement, full of meaning, about Jesus being in the very nature of God. He'd come from God, he was returning to God, and he possesses all the authority of God. It's a statement succinctly describing Jesus' divine authority. So, then look at the phrase that comes after that, in verse 4. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. That is an extraordinary statement of Jesus' humility, one of the lowliest that you will find in the scriptures. Jesus gets up from the meal, takes off his, his outer clothing or robe, puts a, serving, a humble servant's towel around his waist and proceeds to start cleaning the gnarly, hairy, scratchy, Feet of his disciples. It's one of the most self descending moments in the life of Jesus. So you have these two extreme statements sitting right beside each other this glorious statement of Christ's divinity, and then this menial statement of Christ's servitude. And they're connected by the word so. Most naturally, we would have expected them to be connected by the word but. That would sound more logical. Jesus had come from God. He was returning to God. He had all the authority of God. But in spite of that, regardless of that, he became a servant and put on a serving towel and washed his disciples' feet. That would sound logical, that he did this in spite of his divine status. And yet John doesn't give us the word but, he gives us the word so. And what that tells us, incredibly, is that this act of serving, this menial, humble act of foot washing, is not something that Jesus did in spite of being God. It's something that he did because he was God. This is something that Jesus did as an expression of what it meant for him to be God and have all authority and power under his feet. Not something that stands in contrast with that. That when you look at this act of Jesus foot-washing, you are seeing the very heart and the very nature of God. The reason I think that's so hard for us to stomach is because of the concept we have of power and authority. That we look at people, you think of people that we typically define as powerful or authoritative, uh, world leaders Uh, wealthy and successful business people. They are typically people who have others orbiting around them and others serving their needs. And that's how we come to think of power and authority. And yet Jesus here, with a single act, redefines power and authority forever. Redefines greatness and turns our whole concept of what authority looks like on its head. For God to possess power, for God to be authoritative, means to give himself away. For Jesus to have all the power of God means to wash his disciples' feet. For Jesus to be from God and returning to God means for him to pour himself out on behalf of other people. You're not just seeing a good moral act here. You're not even seeing something that shows us who Jesus is. You are seeing the heart of God. You are seeing the very nature and the character of God. I wonder whether when John wrote that statement at the beginning of his gospel, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth, talking about Jesus. I wonder whether maybe he was thinking about this moment. Not just the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus is is in all his radiant splendor. Not just his baptism where the Spirit comes down and the voice of the Father speaks forth. But maybe this moment is where we see the glory of Jesus in humility, in servitude, in lowliness. This is the character of God because the very essence and nature of God is self-giving love, poured out for others. This is a God whose heart is to give himself away. He summons all of his great power in order to give all of himself away for others. And you see it here the night before he dies when he bends down and washes the feet of his friends. This particular act of serving that Jesus undertakes has real significance for us. The particular act of washing feet. You think about the context. It's the night before the crucifixion. Jesus is going through an act that is washing and cleansing and purifying. And he says to Peter, unless I cleanse you, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. What's he doing? This is more than just washing feet. This is more than just a kind deed. Jesus is symbolizing what he's about to do on the cross. Jesus is symbolizing externally with some dirty feet what he is about to do for all humanity with our hearts to wash, to cleanse, and to purify. The night before he died, Jesus gave us an incredible object lesson of what the cross would achieve, an incredible picture of atonement. I don't think it gets any better. He washes the dirt off his disciples' feet to show us what he's about to do on the cross For our whole lives and beings to wash us from sin, cleanse us from impurity, and enable us to stand clean and pure, washed and cleansed before a holy God. And unless we receive that washing, we have no part with Jesus unless we allow him to serve us. And this is really, I think, where the practice of serving starts. It's not by us running out and doing a whole lot of good deeds. It's not by us trying to be good people and find old people to help across the road. It's not that. It is sitting back and appreciating how much we have already been served by Jesus and allowing ourselves to receive that incredible act of serving where he has stooped down and washed our feet and cleansed us That's where the incentive comes from. That's where the motivation comes from to serve anyone else is this humble recognition, Jesus has washed my feet. That I was in that scene, in a sense. That's where we all were, that's where we all are. And Jesus has served me. The discipline of serving begins by allowing ourselves to be served by Jesus. And then out of that, and in response to that, Jesus makes this practice of foot washing an example for us. It becomes a way of life. He says in verse 14, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So out of gratitude, for what Christ has done in serving us and washing us and presenting us pure before the Father. Jesus now calls us to foot washing as a way of life. This is to be the normal pattern of Christian living, that we look for these ways, we can humbly wash the feet of those around us. And again, I think of all the, the language and the phrases that get used about what the Christian life is like. I think of the phrases that got used when I was a teenager. I mentioned a few weeks ago, you know, being sold out for Jesus And being on fire for God, and being fully surrendered, and being a radical disciple. And that's what we talked about. And those were the rallies we went to. And that's what we all got each other completely zhuzhed up about. We're all going to be on fire for God, whatever that means. You know what that means? It means John 13. It means washing the feet of another person. That's what being on fire for God means. That's what being sold out for Jesus means. The glorious Christian life finds its anchor point In humble, everyday, ordinary, menial acts of service done out of gratitude to God and expression of our identity in Jesus that bless and serve and help others. The Christian life is in some ways a very ordinary life. I sometimes get concerned when people talk about the extraordinary Christian life. I feel like I want to write a book called The Ordinary Christian Life. You know, The Glory of the Ordinary. Because isn't this where it all gets earthed? Is in looking for the opportunities to express the grace of Jesus and what he's done for us towards others in ordinary ways? Why does it all have to be extraordinary? And what does extraordinary mean anyway? Isn't that us capitulating to a worldly understanding of of size and scale and numbers? Why can't it be ordinary? Ordinary ways of washing one another's feet washing the feet of those around us in our lives. Now, what this looks like is really varied. Some people take this quite literally. And some Christians, you may have had this experience, some Christians have whole foot washing services. Uh, I was talking to someone this morning, said uh, in their tradition, when people take communion, that's accompanied literally by the washing of feet. Some people have this as a literal practice. So I thought about doing that this morning for about two seconds. And then I thought, no, this, this is going to get awkward. I think it can actually be a bit counterproductive if it's just going to be an awkward and embarrassing thing, which it would be maybe for not all, but for some. Probably for me, because my wife tells me I've got hobbit toes. Uh, so I don't think that'd be pleasant for, for either of us. But, but I take this as, as a model or an example of the kinds of ways, a, an example of something in Jesus' own culture that represented this act of serving in this kind of context the role of washing the feet of people in the, in the, in the room, in the gathering, would fall to the lowest-ranked social member, usually a servant or a slave. So by doing this, Jesus is taking on the place of the lowest, he's taking on the place of the last and the least, and he is putting the needs of everyone else in the room ahead of his own needs. And in doing so, he gives us a pattern to follow. It's moving towards others with love and with grace, allowing ourselves to be second, allowing ourselves to be last and looking for ordinary ways of showing the love of God that has already got a hold in our hearts. I think it can look like so many different things. The other week, I was driving down the motorway towards Green Lane and my car broke down. The engine light came on, I heard something snap in the bonnet, next thing, steam's pouring out, the engine light went on, the temperature gauge went straight to hot, and I kind of hobbled off the motorway and round the corner. I was due to be meeting a couple of guys for lunch, Um, one of whom was Brad Carr, who's spoken here before, you might remember him. So I I parked in the side street, and the car obviously wasn't drivable, completely overheated. I'm so not mechanical, so I had no idea what was going on. So I called Brad and said, look, sorry, man, I'm not going to be able to make it for lunch. I'm going to have to stay here and and get this sorted out. And his first response was, well, I'll just swing by. I'm on my way to lunch. I'll just come by and just, just see. Let's figure it out. So he came around and parked there, and we both looked and had no idea, we kind of grunted to each other, you know as if we knew something about what was happening, and so Brad said, "Well look i 'll just take you over to the cafe. It was only five minutes away. We were going to be having lunch anyway. That way you can have some food. make the phone calls you need to make and get yourself sorted out. So he did that. I spent most of the lunch on the phone, and then I had to ask Brad to take me back to my car early, pull him away from lunch so that I could meet the toy there. And then the Toei didn't show up for a while, so we were just sitting in the car, and Brad just very kindly just, just, just offered just to stay there and sit there, and we just chatted away until the Toei arrived. I mean, he's a pastor of a church, and he has a whole church of people uh, to, to, to tend to and look after. But just impulsively, his reaction was to serve and to be inconvenienced and to allow himself to be interrupted and have his day thrown out of whack, just to be present and to do what he could and to serve. And the next day I sat down to start writing this message and it just struck me, you know, there it is, there it is, washing the feet of another person, just showing up and being present and allowing interruptions to come along. I think a lot of this, and and John alluded to it earlier, is simply developing awareness in our life of who's already there. I don't so much think we need to go running off looking for projects, looking for people, Forcing it to happen. I think you'd be amazed at the number of people that are already present and in your life and crossing your path every day, whom may be people that you could show Jesus love to in some way if we only had eyes to see them. We're just so tunnel vision. I know I am. We're running from one thing to the next, one commitment to the next. We've got our schedule, and unless people are within the center of what's occupying us at the moment, we just tend not to see them. I would say the practice of serving. Requires us to develop some peripheral vision as we go through our day, some spiritual peripheral vision to see not only the people we're immediately focused on, but perhaps those just on the margins of our attention, and to see them as people who are real human beings, not human resources, not commodities, not clients or customers or contracts, but as people, real human lives with real human stories and real human struggles. And people that maybe in some minuscule way, we could show something of Jesus' love to. As we learn to see people in that way and develop awareness of just what's happening in our day, we may be amazed at the opportunities to serve that are right there. Richard Foster suggests one easy practice. As you wake up in the morning, pray a simple prayer along the lines of, God, if it would please you, bring me someone today whom I can serve. Simple prayer when your feet hit the floor in the morning. God, if it would please you, bring me someone today whom I can serve. And the beauty of that prayer is two things. One, it invokes God to act and to orchestrate those moments. But two, it raises our awareness. You start praying that prayer regularly, you start to see people differently. You start to be more tuned through the day in ordinary interactions and conversations to who's around you and the ways in which you may be able to show something of Christ's love to them. And the forms that this can take are so vast and so varied. Sometimes it may just mean praying, especially if you're an introvert. I know introverts can often feel like, man, you know, this serving thing is not for me. I can't bowl up to people I don't know and just do this kind of stuff. But what about simply praying? It's great when you hear those stories of people who God just dropped a name or a face into their mind at a particular time to pray for them, and they find out later on that that person really needed prayer at that particular point. God does this because he knows who requires prayer at different times and he knows those of his people that are open enough to the prompting of the Spirit that we may just hear that name, we may just see that face in our mind. And one way, one really important, maybe the most important way we can serve is by praying for that person by name in that moment. Again, this takes a posture of openness to the Spirit in the course of our everyday lives. Just being aware and being open and being available even while we're going through our normal stuff but just being open and asking God, is there someone you want me to pray for right now? There's no one around me I can serve. Maybe there's a name, maybe there's a face, someone that needs prayer right now, battling away, having a hard time. Who can I pray for? Sometimes this may mean simply listening and being present with someone else. Maybe there's someone that you know in your life who could just do with you showing up, just do with you having a coffee with them and just listening and allowing them to process and allowing them to vent And just reflecting back to them, you don't have to have the answers, you don't have to fix them, you don't have to have solutions. Sometimes that can be quite counterproductive. Just be available to them. Sometimes it's just encouraging. It's sending the encouraging text. It's sending an encouraging card. Hey, I'm thinking of you. I'm praying for you. Just wanted you to know. You're doing well. You're doing great. I love you. Those those one or two lines of a text can be hugely, hugely powerful. The ministry of encouragement is huge. And sometimes it may be just common courtesy and politeness. It Doesn't it make you cringe in those settings where Christians are publicly rude to other people? You know, in service industries. You know, you, you, you go to a cafe or a restaurant, and it's the Christian who's rude to the waiter. Or it's the Christian who complains and is snarky and is grumpy unnecessarily. And you just think, and please don't tell anyone you're a Christian. You know, please just keep. I'm all for evangelism, but maybe just not right now. In fact, if you could publicly mention that you belong to another religion, that might be really helpful <laughs> at the moment. You know, not exactly the best ambassador in that moment. But shouldn't we be people who are kind and courteous just as part of our normal lives? Shouldn't it be kindness that defines the life of of a Christian? just in ordinary ways. Seeing people, even if your meal is cold, even if it's not what you ordered, still just treating people with the dignity of humanity. Still just seeing them as image bearers of God. And people that God has called us to move towards with kindness, kind words, kind intonation, rather than rudeness and grumpiness. And sometimes serving does mean practical things. It means helping out, showing up, pitching in, lending a hand. Uh, This last week, Laura Giddy took Josh our oldest boy, out to Kelly Tarleton's for the day. It was awesome, and he had such a blast and such a good time simply because she offered just to take him and, uh, and, and have a great day with him. It was a real blessing to us just to have somebody who was available and willing to spend some time with our son. What I've come to see with, with, with serving and, and practical things like this is it means being prepared to be interrupted. And personally, I don't do well with that, I tend to be quite a task focused person so I'm working on something in my office I've got some task I really want to get it finished I'm locked in until it's done and then somebody just swings by you know how this happens somebody just swings by the office and they just, not 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 any of you but just swings by <laughs> just kind of wants to chat you know no particular re- just wants to shoot the breeze just have a chat and I'm so, I'm feeling so torn you know I've just got this task I must focus on but there's a person here And I'm starting to learn that the person is more important. I'm such a slow learner, you know. But often those conversations are the most important things that happen in my day. And God is teaching me slowly through gritted teeth to embrace the ministry of interruption. It is a ministry. I'm not just talking about for pastors. The ministry of interruption. Yes, you've got your schedule. Yes, you you have demanding days, I know. But can we all leave ourselves a little bit of breathing room as we go along? That if the Spirit of God asks us to be slightly inconvenienced for the sake of someone else, can we just say yes? Can we just move with that and trust that other things may take care of themselves? Just giving ourselves a bit of flexibility, and it's a posture of the heart. Just being okay with that. That if I don't get these other ten things done, that's all right. I need, there's a person in front of me who just needs my help. The ministry of interruption. As we practice these things, as these things become a lifestyle, what is happening is not only that we are becoming people who bless others, but we're also training our own hearts. And this is the focus of the series. These practices we're talking about, these are not ends in themselves. These are means to an end. And in this case, the end is your own spiritual growth. Perhaps the person that you're blessing most when you serve is yourself over the long term. Because every time you put the needs and interests of someone else ahead of your own, you are telling your heart to love God and love neighbor. And you are instilling in your heart a vision of the kingdom of God where the first are last and the last are first. And you're teaching it to your heart in a very physical way through serving others. Don't underestimate what is happening in your own heart when you show up and be present with someone else. When you send that encouraging text or card, when you help someone else out your own heart is being turned another notch toward the kingdom of heaven and away from the kingdom of self. And that will cause growth in your life over time, growth toward Christ and growth in loving your neighbor. Please again, though, hear my heart that unless we allow Jesus to serve us with his grace and unless we remain anchored in that grace, everything else I've said is legalism and moralism and behaviorism. And it must not be that. It must start and end with the grace of God in our lives that spills over into the lives of others. Yes, that does take effort. It's not always comfortable. I don't always feel like it. But it's still, I hope, some expression of the living and breathing grace of God within me and some expression of my gratitude for the fact that Jesus has washed me and cleansed me. And so much more than I'll ever be asked to do for another person. Let me come back as we close one final time to the story in John 13. It's no coincidence that this event happens at the Last Supper, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night before he died. And if you're familiar with the other Gospels, you may know that this is also the moment when Jesus institutes the sacrament of communion at the same meal, at the same table. Interestingly, John doesn't tell us about that. He's just so focused on this act of serving. If we only had the Gospel of John, we probably wouldn't celebrate communion in the way we do at least. But as you synthesize the Gospels, you see these two things go together on the same night. The act of washing his disciples' feet and the act of giving them the bread and wine to commemorate his own death for them. And so for us, these two acts need to come together in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives. In a moment, we're going to go to the tables. We take the wafer and we take the juice. And I want to encourage you as you do that to picture yourself being served by Jesus. Picture if your mind can handle it. Jesus washing your feet. Imagine being Peter that night. Imagine Jesus getting down there and all the dirt and grime between your toes and washing your feet. Because on a much broader scale and in your heart, that is what he has done. He has washed you and cleansed you. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate. But at the same time, communion reminds us that we are sent out from the table. We're sent out from the Lord's table into the world. And Jesus has given us an example that we should follow by his grace and in his strength and at his prompting, but still an example to follow, an example of washing the feet of others around us. These two things should be seamless. We come to the table and our souls are refreshed in the knowledge that Christ has washed us. And we're sent out from the table as those willing to wash the feet of others in ordinary and humble ways. So let's keep these two things together in our minds and hearts this morning as we take communion. Let's allow ourselves to be served by Christ and let's allow ourselves to be recommitted to serving others in his name. Let's pray together. Jesus, you said that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And we thank you, God, for that. Thank you Jesus that you've served us. Thank you that you've served us with your life with your blood with your body broken we just didn't deserve that at all and we're so humbled by your incredible act of serving for us. And I pray that out of the grace you've shown us that you'd bring to our minds and prompt our hearts with the ways in which we can humbly and gently and kindly wash the feet of others in our lives Help us not to force it. Help us not to be cliched. Help us just to be open and available to your work in us and through us on a daily basis. And we pray, Lord, that simple and humble prayer, if it would please you, bring us someone this day whom we can serve in your name. For Christ's sake, we pray these things. Amen.